This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Give us God's word. Right, I have one problem. I have an iPad. No. After typing all this up, I couldn't print it off. So here we go. We'll have a go now. Wait now, hang on. All right, those are my photos. I hadn't lost them. They're there. Joseph put them back. What am I looking for pages? There we go. And it's come on. Right. First of all, it's really hot under these lights, and I've got to tell them publicly what I told you last week. I really think, Ruth, that when Phil is speaking under these lights, you need to be like Mrs. T.D. Jakes. You need to sit there, and when you see him sweating, run up to your man. And went there. <laughs> you think so? Mop his brow. She's always got a hanky ready to mop his brow. That's your old Ruth. Right. Right. She said no. Right. Preach it, sister. But I'll preach that. Right. Last week, Phil's, when, when he spoke on, um, you know, face up, look up, clean up. I've been thinking about Gideon for nigh on two years. And so that, I, that sometimes you need a ratchet to get the sermon going, you know. You, you've got it all, but something's missing. And I thought, that's it, because that's exactly what Gideon did. He faced up, he looked up, and he cleaned up. And so we're going to read from Judges 6, 1 to 33. But let me start by saying that The first chapter of Judges starts with this phrase. Here is your Baldrick comment, if you like, the cunning plan, if you like. Each man did what he thought was right in his own eyes. Now, that is going to be a recipe for disaster. But the people of Israel were living their lives exactly as they chose to live them. They did exactly what they wanted to do. And so... They had been warned that when they entered the land, the promised land, and Joshua had conquered now, and they were in the promised land, when they reached there, they weren't to worship the gods of that land. They weren't to bow down to the altars. They weren't to intermarry. But each man did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And so all that happened, Israel sinned against God. Time, it was cyclical, time and time and time again. And at this period, God has allowed the Midianites to overpower them. And the Midianites were a nomadic tribe who came in, waited for the Israelites to plant their crops, waited for the harvest, and then took all the crops they could to eat. Then they stole them and gathered them, and they burned and destroyed what were left. So the Israelites were basically starving. And because of this, they were so terrified, they were hiding out in caves and dens, terrified of the Midianites. And that's where it starts. God, in chapter 5, we hear that God sends a prophet to them who tells them, you've sinned against God. So here we go. Isn't it great? Wow, right. Judges 1, Judges 6, 1 to 33. It's quite long, so bear with me. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. 
Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and didn't spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. What a way to live for the people of God, eh? who'd come out through the Red Sea, who'd seen all the miracles, and this is what is happening. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord. Right, let me stop for one minute. So you've got the message? Yeah? It's a little bit like today, really, isn't it? You know? Maybe the land is being ravaged by people who are coming in and taking away, what is it? Our Christian morals and all of this is going waste. We call ourselves a Christian country, but actually, I think we're being ravaged at the moment. We're being ravaged. But the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezrite, I think, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favour in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I'll wait until you return. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat, and from an ephah flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and his broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. 
When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, don't be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands an offer of the Abiezrites. That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down off of the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah poles beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded of Josh, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights of him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day, they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying that Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. All right. Oh, this has gone off. Doesn't work, Andrea. What you told me to do has not worked. Right. <laughs> right. I've got a few points to make about this. Number one, he comes to Gideon and calls him a warrior. Let me say, first of all, warriors are gender neutral. We always think of warriors as men. But in Christ, we are warriors as well, girls. There's no male or female. And we are warriors and we have to fight this faith. We have to fight for what we believe every bit as much as a man. And we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against an awful lot. You have to fight against your upbringing. You see, Gideon was a product of his upbringing, a product of his environment, a product of the teaching that had gone on, a product of the society, a product of everything that made him who he was. I don't think he was alone in the wine press. Because that's what they did to safeguard their crops. This is the way the Israel did it. He had been told, go to the wine press. They won't see you there. He wasn't alone. He was a product of fear that now they had come to a time where they could do nothing to defeat the Midianites. The people of God were powerless to, def to defeat their foes. And so he's in this situation because of what he'd been taught, because of how he, he, he saw people around him live in. He'd been ingrained with it, you know? And sometimes that's what we're like. We get ingrained in our past. We're ingrained, so, so we have to wrestle sometimes with our past, with ourselves, with us, to get out from that maya. That is put to me. We wrestle with our environment, our culture, society, and the church. 
Because church culture has a large part in this. These were the people of God who were living like this. Those chains that shaped us. But we can thank God because we're a new creation. Aren't we? So we have everything. And this is where we go. God calls him a warrior. He calls him a warrior and then he sets about making him one. Gideon has the potential at this point to be a warrior. He's not a warrior, but he's got massive potential to become what God is calling him. Ephesians 3 says, that's true, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The potential in this church is enormous. But potential is nothing if you don't do anything with it. Potential just stays potential. And the saddest thing I think that you can write over a person or a church is they had potential. But they never saw it in reality. They had potential. They could have done so much. Look at what he could have done with his life. Look how they could have changed things, you know? But we just don't do anything because we become products of an environment and think, that's the way it's done. This is how you do it, right? So being called one thing is quite something. But now you've got to be made ready. Yes. You've got to be made ready. This church is a great church, an absolutely great church. But it's got the potential to be something absolutely amazing. But it's going to take us all. You can't leave that to leaders. It's going to take all of us to make this church the church God wants it to be. And when God comes to him, this is verse 13 to 17, Gideon's reaction to the angel is of a bit of a pity party to whine. Ooh, what do you mean? We don't see you anymore. You don't do anything in the land anymore. You're not helping me. Look at the circumstances I'm living in. Look at the circumstances the church is in. We don't see you do anything anymore. They tell us you brought us up out of Egypt, but we don't see it. They say you had revival in 1904, but there's no evidence that ever was it here now. So did it really happen? How can I trust you to do it again? I've seen no evidence in my life that you move amongst your people and do amazing things. I've no evidence that you heal. I've no evidence that you actually do anything. How can I totally trust you and become a warrior? Because quite frankly, I've no evidence of that. This is what he's telling God. And you know what Matthew Henry says? Sin disparates a man. Sin disparates a man. When there's sin, and unbelief I'm talking now, I'm not talking about the other moral sins that they got into, we actually become more dispirited. We're not lifted up. We have no peace. We are dispirited in nature. But God's answer is absolutely fantastic. Don't you just love God? Don't you just love God? When Andrew said like, a fortnight ago, if 
you want to change, then change. What an offensive thing to tell people. Hmm? I'm sure a lot of people are offended whether if you want to change, change. But you know what, do you know what God tells Gideon after he's mourned about the state they're in? Go then. Save Israel. I'm with you. Go. If you want to do it, do it. I'm with you. He doesn't say, oh, I know. It's been a bit hard for you, hasn't it? Oh, you poor thing. Let me just sit here with you now and I put my arms on your shoulders and we'll, we'll really look at this together. And No. What are you talking about? I'm here. We have the greatest power on the universe for this. There's nothing comparable to God. You know? He loves you. He died for you. He lives in you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Yes. Hmm? And yet, I'm sorry, but some of us are in a wine press, terrified to get out, because we've never seen the evidence that God's going to do anything in our lives. So we sit there. We sit there. But we have to get this. 2 Peter says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Isn't that fantastic? You have everything you need to live a life that pleases God. Everything. Nothing left out now. Everything. And I don't know what part of everything sometimes we don't understand. But everything we need, we have to live a life. That pleases God. And it pleases God when we stick up for him. When we don't become fearful. When we're prepared to fight for the faith. If ever faith needed fighting for, it's in this day and age. If ever we needed to fight for our faith, it's now. So, he tells Gideon this. And Gideon wants confirmation. This is really God to bring an offering to him. And this tickles me pink. Oh, I'm very sorry. I want you to envy this. He goes off to make some food for him. I'm going to bring him an offering. Isn't it amazing? They've always got to kill a goat. <laughs> they go to slaughter this goat or a sheep or sometimes even a bull. Then they're going to have to prepare it, cook it. How long does this take? It ain't going to make him a sandwich, is it? <laughs> and make a cup of tea and a biscuit, you know? It's not a, this takes hours of preparation. Hours of preparation. And I'm fascinated by the whole thing that God says, yeah, I'll wait for you. While you're offering to me, I'll wait for you. You know? And I think, you know, we are called to offer ourselves to God. According to Romans 12, offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, you know. It takes time, you know. You can't say, oh, yeah, I'm going to offer myself to God. All in the worship, arms up, yeah, yeah, I'm surrendering. You then have to walk that out. You walk it out, and God waits. He says, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you till the offering comes. I'll wait for you. So he says, so, you know, from, I find that part, part, and I'm finished with that, I'm going to talk about that later, right? Bear that in mind, NB, that's for later. <laughs> but we think sometimes that we're called 
into many things in the church, isn't it? Calling is a thing. And we want this sort of confirmation. So, so for Gideon, the Lord touched it and pff, burnt, burst into flames. Well, you know, I hope that doesn't happen to me. Ooh, I'm offering myself pff, flames. <laughs> but, you know, it's... Um, but this confirmation for us, of course, is not going to be miracles necessarily, is it? You must like to see, you know, I suppose some people do. But you know, you know, don't you, when God's spoken to you? You know, you know. Deep down, you know, nothing can sway you from, I know. I know who my God is. My mother used to say, and she was 97, she was um, blind, going deaf, bed-bound, crippled with arthritis. And she used to tell me, I can never not believe in my Jesus. She knew, she knew. Spoke in tongues for the first time at 94 years of age. Woke up speaking in tongues, thought she was blabbing. Didn't ever been taught about it. Never been taught about it, knew anything about it, but worshipped God so much, God gave her tongues. Yeah, she knew, she knew. Don't you know, you know, that's your confirmation from God. You know, you know. But then, sometimes, you need the confirmation of godly people as well. Because in my experience, people are always called to the ministry of today in the church. Yeah. Eh? Ooh, worship, went on the worship team. Preaching, ooh, went on the worship team. Youth, ooh, get on the youth team. Isn't it funny how God always calls them into the big ministries? <laughs> Nobody's called into the cleaning team. <laughs> <laughs> they were called onto the breakfast rotor. You know? But the big things. Oof. Yeah, let's get up there. You need confirmation that that's your calling. From godly men who you trust. I'm not talking about putting people down. I'm not talking for at all about putting people down. But just be certain that what you're called into. Do. Because you see, you'll find that his presence goes before his purpose in your life. And I think that's what Phil was talking about. His presence precedes his purpose. You don't know his calling if you've never been in his presence. You don't know peace if you've never been in his presence. His presence precedes his purpose. Because when you get there, and Gideon built an altar called peace. You know? Oh, I've seen the angel of the Lord. I've seen the angel of the Lord. Another version it says, God tells him, Oh, calm down. <laughs> calm down, you're not going to die. Calm down. But you know what being in God's presence does for you? For those of us who've been in His presence, you won't swap it for anything else. There is nothing like it. It spoils you for anything else. God's presence spoils you. When you have seen Him, He spoils you for everything else. That's why people want to come to church. That's why people want to get involved. That's why people want to serve him. Because they have seen him. And when you've seen him, there's nothing more you can do but to serve him. And so this all, perhaps, you see, your service leads to revelation. We're discussing it on Wednesday night. Service leads to revelation. Hmm? 
So his presence precedes his purpose, purpose and service leads to revelation. You know him. You know him and he'll show you what he wants you to do. Got me? I can't see anybody over here. So they can be making all sorts of faces at me and grimacing and saying, oh, I don't know what this was talking about. But I can't see them, so it's all right. <laughs> so he's called by his future ministry name, a warrior. Right? He's given the assurance of God being with him. He served him and had his calling confirmed. And now he's about to be commissioned. Hmm? Now you think, oh, that's enough. Isn't that enough to go out and feed the Midianites? No. No, no, no. Because the big part is yet to come. God's amazing. See, there are criteria, I think, that we have to stick to if we really want to impact. If we really want to make an impact, there's criteria we need to stick to. So we go on to... But Israel hadn't totally turned away from God. If you go back, he prepared the goat. In another version it says, he boiled the goat in water. And I was fascinated when I read that. Why do you think that's significant? Can anybody tell me why that's significant? He boiled the goat in water. Simple. Anybody know? No? Ian? Yes, you do. Don't tell me you don't know. I'm shocked that I know more than Ian. <laughs> Fantastic. Here we go then. I'll cheat Ian. Because <laughs> the Levitical law states, do not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Had to be boiled in water. And now then. All right. <laughs> So he offers the sacrifice to God exactly as the Levitical law stated it should be done. They hadn't totally turned away from God. What they did was they mixed their religion. They had a mixed religion going on. They worshipped God and the gods of the other nations. These gods. Can you see? So Gideon kept the part of the law, but his father was a keeper of the Baal altar. In the village. So they had this mixture. They hedged their bets. That's what they did. They hedged their bets. God became the national God. Yahweh was the national God. But for everything else, they worshipped the God of the nations. Ashtoreth and Baal. Ashtoreth is supposedly the wife or mother of Baal. But for them, they were the God of, if you like, crops. A harvest. And fertility. So all their daily needs were met by the gods of the other nations. God, Yahweh, just became a national god. But basically, there was really no trust in him. They didn't trust him to do anything for them. They trusted Baal. So, does work, Andrea. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> Doesn't that sound familiar to Britain today? National God, Christ. But actually, let's take on a little bit of everything else. Just in case he ain't going to come through for us. 
just in case, you know, we'll have a bit of this, a bit of political correctness, everything else, that, all this going on, you know, that's pretend. But when that comes into the church, now we're in serious trouble. You get into serious trouble when the people of God start to trust other things besides God. Hmm? That's when the trouble starts. That's when our enemies defeat us. That's when God says, well then, do what you think is right in your own eyes. Let's see, hasn't the church done what this thinks is right in his own eyes for years now? For years. Gideon had to show that they couldn't trust in anything but God. And you know what? In the next chapter, you see that he's now going in against the Midianites. He's going to get them. 32, he's got 32,000 men. God says, you're too many. And he whittles them down to 300. Is that 1%? I'm not very good with maths. It's not. Oh, there we are then. <laughs> maths and me don't get on. Right, though. Well, 10% is 3,000, isn't it? It is 1%, isn't it? It is 1%. It is, right. Yes. So he whittles, and what he shows them is, you can't trust in anything. So he says, no, take the bull. Do you know what the bull was to the village? Amazed. When you look things up, oh, it's fantastic. It was like the village tractor. The bull was what was used to plough the land. So when he said kill the plough, kill the bull, it was like destroying the plough. They had nothing to till the lands with. Then he says, now use that, tear down the Asherah pole. Then tear down Baal's altar, now burn everything. He wrecked, ruined everything that they put their trust in because he alone you have to dedicate yourself entirely to God you know and God says then then what could do it do you want to build the church build it I'm with you build the church what's stopping you building the church build the church you know stop doing that start doing this you know all these things I can't do it I can't do it I can't do it God is with us. We can do amazing things in my life, in your life, in the life of your families, in the life of the church, and in the life of the nations. Because it starts with me, with my next little group, and then with the outside. Jesus said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, to the ends of the earth. It starts with you. It starts with you. So we are to dedicate ourselves totally to God. You're not to have other gods. You're not to rely on anything else. <coughs> you know, not to rely on worship. Not to rely on preaching. You're not to rely on the youth team. We're not to rely on any of that. It's fantastic. But you can't put up trust in it. You can't put your faith in it. Your faith goes to the Holy Spirit. Who's going to guide us to trust the Holy Spirit? I don't trust the worship team. Sorry, darling. Yeah. But I haven't got my faith in the worship team. I haven't got my faith in the leaders. I haven't got my faith, certainly not in me, in the preaching. I don't have my faith in the things that make up church. My faith is in God alone. And when we walk in his way, he brings his plans into fruition. You know He's told, go defeat them at the Midianites. But then he tells him, but first, you have to tear down those altars that are in your life. 
You've got to tear down those altars that's in the life of God's people. You have to tear down the altars, then watch me move. You know? But I think we try and work our mixed religion somehow into our Christianity. So we have formulas in church. So we worship with formulas. This is the way it's done. Is a formula. How many, how many years ago we used to talk about tradition in the church? Tradition can be two weeks old, sorry. Don't, don't bang on about the old apostolic church and the old chapels. Like, you know, it can be two weeks old. You can set a precedent and say, that's how we do things. And we never change now. It's, it's formula. That's right. Formula. We need to break the mould. And we need to know how to break the mould of church. How are we going to do it differently? I don't know. But together. Together. Can you see? Together. We can break down things that are preventing us from getting out into the nation. Together. We can't do it alone. You'll never do it alone. But you can do it as a unit. Yeah? I don't know. I'm asked you to say yeah, yeah. I've been too busy talking, actually. I hope it's making sense. Because what's coming to me is very simple. Here's a man who God had a purpose for. His purpose was to be a warrior and to defeat the Midianites. There's a purpose for everybody in this church. The purpose for us all as a unit is to make a difference in Ammonford. That's our purpose as a unit. Make a difference in Ammonford. So the difference has to start in the church. Nobody disagree, I hope, will they? Start here. So mixed worship ends and dedication only to God comes in. We totally worship God. We don't trust anything else but God to lead us, to guide us, to prepare us, to reveal to us. So we have revelation. Then, hopefully, prayerfully, we can do things that break the mould and spill out into the community. But you'll never do it with a formula. You'll never do it with a formula. Formulaic worship, formulaic preaching, formulaic how we do church will never, ever bring the lost in, I'm sorry, because it's dependent on something other than God. <coughs> sorry, rubbed in. <laughs> rubbed in. So, that's the thing. So if we want to make a change, God's making us what he meant to be. Here's the faith. Here's the hope. Here's the trust that for those of us who really want this to happen, God says, I called you, now I'm making you. We're in the process of being made into something fantastic. I believe, I absolutely believe that. We are in the process of being made into something fantastic. Right? But we have to stick to the criteria, church. You've got to stick to the criteria. You can't move outside of it. Otherwise, you let it be invaded by all sorts of things that undermine our religion, undermine our, our faith, undermine our spirituality. Take away our youth. Take away our... That's the crops. That's the fertility. Take them all away into other things. But God's got a purpose for us. His purpose is, come to me, watch me do it. Watch me do it. So I pray that we can be a church that will just trust him totally to do what he's called us to do and that we will do it in his strength we need to be people who break the boundaries because we are fearless one last thing 
when he tears down the altar, his father was the Baal, idol keeper. So in his own family, he had this idol worship going on. And yet, it's his father. When the men come to say kill him, they get totally against the law. You were meant to be killed if you built an altar to any other god. But these men were saying, kill him for building an altar to God. Madness going on, isn't there? Sheer mad. Do you know who would be against you <laughs> when you try and change things? People who should be for you. People who should be for you will be the ones saying, Ooh, I don't think you should be doing that. You know, Ooh, don't do that. But his father said no. You see, when I do it God's way, when we do it God's way, God goes before us and somehow changes people in our lives. Isn't that amazing? God, in his grace, had gone before him and changed Joash from being an idol worshipper to being somebody who says no. I'm back on track now. Don't change your family. When you change your school, when you change your workplace, when you change the church, when you change Armenford, we have to worship God alone. We have to worship God alone. That's when you get peace. In his presence. Listening to his voice. And obeying. Jesus learned obedience by his suffering. We have to do it. I'm sorry. I know that's maybe the law. But we have to be this type of person. Otherwise, nothing's going to happen, church. Nothing's going to happen. Worship God alone. But he is your saviour. Amen. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.